0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Profitable Practice Podcast. I am of course your host, Andrea Maxim, naturopathic doctor, and today we are going to get down and dirty with that yucky word, money. We're going to be talking about student loans today, and I know a lot of you've got them, and I know a lot of you've got a lot of them, and this can really be a tremendous detriment mentally, when it comes to approaching your business the way that you should. So it was my pleasure to bring Travis Hornsby on to talk about all about student loaning and proper planning and financial budgeting and also talking about, you know, the the emotional side of having student loans when it comes to partnerships and, you know, wanting the type of lifestyle that you think that you deserve now that you've graduated from your you know, a healthcare, school, or college. So this is something that I definitely um, have been learning and and reading a lot about is my relationship with money. And for a lot of us, it comes with a very negative, scary. You know, I don't even want to look at my bank account. I don't even want to know how much is on my credit card statement. You know, it it becomes this kind of exactly as we talk about later, you know, you just want to put your head in the sand and not even acknowledge the issues that are coming with your finances. And I can tell you that one of the things that I promised myself is when it comes to money and making investments on me and my business, I always knew that I had the drive to win big. And so for me, I took out immediately a $25,000 business loan when I graduated and I had $30,000 in OSAP. So that's the um, Ontario Student uh, um, student School Loan Plan. I, I can't remember what OSAP stands for. Um, and I always knew that I was going to be able to pay it back. And I can be completely honest with you that it took me a good three years before I got that line of credit to go to zero. And then of course I found a new investment that I would use my line of credit to help subsidize and then I would bring it back to zero. And it really wasn't until the past two years that I have consistently been in the black in my bank account. And that was just because I had massive dreams and goals for my business that I knew I had to make an upfront investment on. So it was buying a clinic. It was getting a car. It was because I was traveling between two spaces and they were 40 minutes apart. Um, It was buying expensive equipment for my clinic. It was investing in my self-published book, which was not inexpensive. It was investing in my online presence and the podcast that I'm doing was still an investment and the business coaching that I've done was a major investment. But every single time I knew that I had the tenacity to pay it off So it was always a worthwhile investment. And this is the number one reason why I never gamble. I never go to the casino with my husband. I refuse to put money even into a lotto ticket or a scratch card because I can't control the outcome. But when it comes to me and my potential, I have full control over that. And so I've over time developed a very positive relationship with money where I always knew and based on my actions, that I would be able to make that investment back and my return on investment was always in the plus. But I know that there's a lot of you that don't feel that way and there's a lot of you that are still feeling very strangled and weighted down by the debt that you've accumulated and maybe what your credit card statement is saying and of course the people that are in your life that are expecting you to contribute in some way shape or form with regards to the bills, like keeping your family going and all those other things. And so there's a few resources that I think you should look into around this. The number one person that I've been listening to, and I will put a link to the podcast that he did with James Wedmore, is Jim Fortin. And he I've listened to this podcast two or three times now. And every single time, it really does help you, number one, take radical responsibility for where you are now. And understand what you need to be responsible for in order to become and live that lifestyle that you want to and it always comes down to you and he does talk a lot about the financial side of things how we can easily let debt dictate our success because we constantly make stories and tell ourselves well you know I'm poor I have no money and while the reality of that may be true what you decide to do in order to overcome that obstacle is completely up to you and your responsibility. So that's Jim Fortin, who I have been following for a number of months now and has really helped me change my perspective on how I am perceiving my life, how I am acting in my life, and who I am being in my life, whether it's finances, as a wife, as a mother, as a business owner. The other book that I've been reading lately is Dollars Flow Easy to Me, and that is something again I will post in the show notes, but that's a really great book for you to understand um, your mental blocks around finances, and the more you block money from coming to you, the less money you're going to have. So it's all about being very comfortable with accepting what you're worth and accepting money from your patients and for supplements and running a business you need to be profitable to continue to run your business and just about the mindset around that so those are the two resources that I would strongly encourage you check out again those will be in the show notes but before we jump into the podcast of course the sponsor for the podcast show is my seven day detox program this is a program that I have used basically since you know, year one in my practice and to this date, so six years later, has still continued to be the most profitable program that I have in my business. If you want to check it out, you can go to maximizebusiness.ca forward slash seven, the number seven day detox program. It is completely done for you. You can implement it in 24 hours. And with my clients and people that buy it, I say implement it with the very next patient. You don't have to have all the emails in place and everything else, just start running it in your practice. And it is, again, the biggest reason why I get word of, re- word of mouth referrals and my patients continuously come back and repeat the seven day detox completely on their own volition. Um, so it is a really easy program to run and it's a great way to make some passive revenue as well and some more revenue in your business. So go to maximizedbusiness.ca forward slash seven day detox program and download that now. Okay, let's jump into the interview with Travis. Hello, Travis. Thank you so much for being on the Profitable Practice Podcast. Um, just give everybody kind of a bit of a background on who you are and how you got into this particular topic that we're going to be talking about today.
1: Sure. Well, I uh, I started dating this uh, this woman, my my wife now, and uh, we had this conversation, you know, the money conversation, and she told me, hey, by the way. You know, I have six figures in in student loans and I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, I hadn't had to deal with that in my life until then. And I decided, well, I I can help figure this out. Like I'm a bond trader. I I used to, you know, work in kind of like the Wall Street world and everything. And so I'm going to make a model and I'm going to figure out a plan for us to how to pay this back. And so I thought it was going to be real straightforward. And then I did it and it was a lot more complicated. Um, so for Americans, there's just all these different repayment plans and they're always changing and they've got all these different companies that manage your loans and they seem to change every, you know, few years (laughs) or even few months in some cases. And, uh, so I just decided, well, this is too, I want to help people figure out, uh, these, you know, figure out how to make a plan to pay back their giant student loans because it's the number one financial challenge in their life. Right. And so I started initially just doing it for, for friends and then I, decided to make it a full-time business and now we've uh, consulted on about about 240 million or so of student debt uh, since I started this officially back in October 2016. So that's almost real money. <laughs>
0: Wow. And just thinking about it, thinking about the finances, like as soon as we start talking money, there's this whole stigma around talking about our finances and looking at our numbers. And if anybody is like my husband, he just doesn't even open his bills half the time. He just like gives them money and says, I hope that this is paying things off. Right. So Let's first start there, because the biggest mental obstacle that happens is we have these these students that are brilliant, they're health-centered and heart-centered, and all they want to do is help people, um, whether it's nutrition, health coach, naturopath, and especially in the naturopathic realm, you know, they're graduating with, as you mentioned, like six figures in debt. And then the next thing is, well, I need to invest in a business. I ne- I need to start making money back. So when you start working with your clients, how do you get over the mental obstacle of facing the reality that is the cash flow, and then get them to um, move forward beyond that so it's not such a burden?
1: Yeah, I think that the the first thing you got to do is stop looking at the past and saying shoulda, woulda, coulda. You know, it's you know anything that's already happened has already happened and you can't change it. So definitely, it makes sense to just you know, think about it briefly, but then you want to figure out what lessons that you can use from that and just move forward with your life. So that's, that's a big problem that I find is people a lot of times want to put their head in the sand, kind of like an ostrich, you know, it's like, just pretend it's not a problem and maybe it'll go away. Like that's, that's not the way to do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I think that you, you made a great point with, with people that are just very focused on helping people. They're really passionate about, about what they're learning and putting it into practice. Uh, but, but, you know, a lot of times I think you've got these schools that really kind of take advantage of people and charge people way more uh, than, you know, I'd really like to see people pay in tuition. Um, so the first off is like not blaming yourself, like just giving yourself permission to not feel guilty for all the decisions that you made in your life. That's like the first step, step mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And so, I mean, a I, I step two would be a little bit more practical. Um, the It's very hard to make a good long-term plan for your student loans if your short-term cash position is really messed up. So a lot of times, like, you know, I'll, I'll say, well, okay, do you have credit? How much do you have in the bank? You know, what does your budget look like? And so we'll have discussions just about making sure that that short-term picture is okay, and you have a good relationship with money just in general. And then the next step is figuring out the big student debt and figuring out what to do with that. Because once we've gotten like through those first two steps, it's okay, right? Like we've mm-hmm. already destroyed and slayed the the sort of blame yourself kind of mentality. And the second step, we fix that that cycle of living paycheck to paycheck. And once those two things are slain, then we can focus on that third step, which is figuring out the student loan plan.
0: Right. So before we break that down, because I'm sure everybody wants to hear that part, my initial thought is, OK, so I, I've forgiven myself, which I'm sure takes a lot more than just saying it. Um, huh. I, I know what money I have to play with in my bank. The next question is, so I want to start a business. I need at least maybe $10,000 to really get my business up and running. How do you then approach people that need to take out another loan to get things going while they still have this student loan? And again, the mental part of this as well as planning it all out.
1: Well, luckily for for most naturopaths, at least in the US, you're gonna have loans that are on the federal system so you can pay based on your income so at a high level you know you're paying a fixed percentage of whatever you make so if you're making zero your payment's zero <laughs> you know at the extreme case and if you're making 50,000 maybe your payment's like 300 to 500 a month and so you know it's a limited portion of of what you're earning so that's the first step is mm-hmm. realizing like you don't actually have 300,000 in student loans you have what's effectively a tax on your income for 20 to 25 years I see. and then yeah and then and then we can go into this more later but then you have a big tax bomb payment at the end for you know when you're done paying back uh, you know on these different income-based programs so it's not a giant amount of debt it's really like a tax so now that you've realized that it's kind of like a tax like pretend that you're in sweden and taxes are like you know 70 percent or 80 percent, whatever they are in sweden right oh my god like, i hope not I know, but like, <laughs> if you had the, if you had the opportunity to earn more money, you know, would you do that? And the answer is of course. Right. So then that you're going to make more money as a business owner, you know, long term, you know, with a very high probability. Like there, yes, there are some people that would make more money as an associates as an associate, because they're just not, they don't have that business owner mentality, mm-hmm. but yeah. most people, once they get over the confidence issue, will make more money as a business owner. So the question is, is whether you have to go to a bank to get that financing, or you have to uh, use your savings or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you've got to take that next step. So, a lot of times, what I'll tell folks is, you know, the student loans are a very important piece of it, but you don't want to lose like the forest for the trees. And, and right. being financially successful with your degree means owning your future and having your own practice. Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll we'll talk about different ways that they can do that from a, from a practical standpoint. Um, yeah, and then and then focus on this, how the student loan piece fits into that.
0: Well, if you don't mind, I would actually love to go into that right now. So we're at yeah. that place where, you know, let's say I want to open a clinic space. I want to have my own space, maybe not a massive center, but I just want to have my own little space, as you said, start investing in my success as a healthpreneur, a business owner, Um, So how do I start navigating that and planning things appropriately? So again, you know, another big falter that I see is we have this perception when we want to open a space, it has to be massive. It has to like throw as much money into it, make the walls as beautiful as they are, get the most expensive furniture, like have it look perfect right out of the gate. And yet we still haven't even seen one patient yet. So how do you start to navigate around the realism Of starting a business
1: yeah well I'll I'll blame one of my friends here and tell you how not to do it so uh, (laughs) I I, I had a friend who recently he spent about $40,000 on starting a business and during that period where he was spending all that money he maybe had like two or three thousand dollars of revenue so what he was doing was trying to get to the point where he was already you know investing in things to scale but he didn't even have that basic foundation laid yet yeah so what I would tell anybody who's starting a naturopath business is you want to keep your fixed costs very low, as low as possible, and that doesn't include just your business. That's your personal life too. Mm-hmm. So so many people like they graduate after all this arduous work and higher education. And they're like, you know what? I'm a doctor. I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a, a car because normal adults with my level right, of education right. deserve a car, right? Or a house, or you know, a trip to uh, the Caribbean or whatever it is. And so that, that first step is, at least for this period where you're gonna experiment having your own business, that stuff has to not, not exist or be very limited. So you're kind of living like you're in a desperation, uh, poverty mode for those first two or three years of business and having that expectation with you and your family that it's gonna be really lean. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not gonna go out to eat all that much, you're not gonna have a, a big car payment. You're, if you're gonna buy a house, you're gonna delay that goal and really making yourself as, as, you know, removing as much stress as possible Mm -hmm. by having low fixed costs. So it's like the personal side of the equation. And then for the business side of the equation, you know, get creative, you know, you don't have to necessarily take out this giant space, like start small, you know, undercharge for your services, perhaps at first, because, you know, if you charge what an experienced doctor is, uh, you know, maybe people aren't going to come see you right away, Mm -hmm. because you're not offering a compelling reason. Mm So. So if you if you give away your services at a lower price point or you take uh you know you you accept more generous uh um or I should say less generous uh plans, you know, from people uh then then you'll get that revenue in the door and then once it's coming in the door and you have some level of profitability even if it's really small, then you can optimize things. Yeah. You can say, "Okay, maybe we don't take this plan because the reimbursement's really low." Or maybe we you know get a bigger space because we're overflowing on patients and we're working you know 7 a.m to 7 p.m and that's not sustainable so those are a couple tips
0: yeah and i actually want to elaborate on that last one because i love it because this is the other thing is um all new graduates again regardless of of health field they They just want to make money as quickly as possible, but they don't necessarily negotiate on their calendar. So coming back, what you were saying, I say, you know, you have nobody on the books anyway, do whatever you can, whether it's offering your services for free, offering a discount, like just get people into the door because that also elaborates on the confidence piece. And the faster you can get your confidence level up, the faster you're going to see those um, changes in your patients, the faster you can start to raise your rates and all of this starts to snowball much faster. But again, it's sort of like, well, I don't want to charge low rates because I think I'm worth more. And yet your calendar is like bare bones empty. So just get people in the door to at least manifest that flow and then start to elaborate on things. So I, I really, really appreciate that. Now, What are some of the, when we're talking about fixed costs, what are some of the cool avenues that are available now with technology and the internet that people can start to use to their advantage, whereas before, like 10 years ago, you had to pay? For instance, a lot of my colleagues now are using um, like wireless faxing on their phone, like they didn't buy a fax machine. A lot of people are using their cell phones as their clinic phone as opposed to buying a landline. So what other kind of cool um, techniques have you seen your clients use to pinch a few pennies here and there?
1: Yeah, um, hmm. I would say um, that's a great question. So... so there's a lot of really expensive healthcare focused software out there mm-hmm. that you're supposed to buy because it's the latest and the greatest and it's compliant with everything. And, uh, I mean, I think that you want to go as simple as and effective as possible to the extent that you can. So like I have this amazing calendar, uh, feature where people can book and reschedule, uh, it's called Calendly. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah. And that's, you know, it's so easy and you don't, you don't have to pay, you know, a you know, $500 a month, for some fancy firm to set Mm -hmm. it up and implement it for you, you can pay whatever it is like 10 or 20 bucks a month. And um, like there's this chat bot thing uh, on, um, that I have on my site that uh, it's called Olark. And I put that on my site. So when people have questions, like they can just click that button and it's really obvious that you can contact me and, you know, chat. And I think I saw something like that on your, on your site um, Yeah, as well. it was totally so,
0: free, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so if you have somebody sitting at the front desk or someone like that, then like absolutely, they should be logged into that all day. Like, so if somebody has a question and they happen to be on your site, they can just click that button and ask and get a live answer.
0: Yeah, um, perfect.
1: So those are some things. Uh, if you're in an area that's kind of um, you know not super competitive with, with a lot of other doctors around, then uh, I would say stuff like Facebook ads. You know, I mean, you can target people and mm-hmm. limit it to very, small geographic area and you can do all kinds of things with um you know sending people to to booking landing pages and and uh, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do there. Uh so I think that that I'm going to spend $50,000 and I'm going to have a successful practice is so totally not true. You probably could get away with just like at least somewhere to practice and then you know uh, 500 bucks or something like that for various software and you'd be off to the races.
0: Perfect. So Let's say we've got everything in place. The um, We're running things on a fairly shoestring budget. The other thing that comes with finances that I find is the family members, the partners. You know, I've had personal coaching clients and people that have reached out and they're like, my husband or my wife is relying on me to contribute to these bills that we have. My parents were expecting me to be able to pay for such and such things by now and I'm just not able to so I wanted to talk to you about the conversation like the real conversation that perhaps you've witnessed with your clients where they have to break things down and be realistic with their family and friends and you kind of touched on this earlier but I'd, re- I'd like to go into a bit more detail about that and how do you then coach your clients to have that conversation
1: yeah um well the The first thing to think about is is the student loan burden is is think of it like a percentage of your income, right? It's a tax. It's not a, an absolute debt payment. So if you look at three hundred fifty thousand in student loans to pay that back in ten years, you might have to pay thirty five hundred to four thousand a month. and that's just not possible, right? You know, I mean even if you're crushing it as a practice owner making hundred fifty thousand a year, that's still like probably not doable. Yeah. So you've got this federal debt issue, which the reason the debt is so high is because of the federal rules. So you have to use the federal payment options to pay back the debt that wouldn't be so high if it wasn't for federal rules in Mm -hmm. the first place. So that's the first thing is challenging, you know, significant others and parents line of thinking to that, you know, that there's alternative ways to pay back debt than just brute force it. And, you know, for people who owe more than double their incomes, that's kind of like the unofficial guideline I use. Um, that's, That's when you need to have that conversation with partners like, hey, I'm, I don't have to pay this giant amount towards my student debt because we're going to use a different strategy for that. In terms of like income, which maybe I'm hearing a little bit in that question, like maybe you expected to make more money than you're making right now. And you thought that, you know, the admissions people told you that this was going to be an easy ticket to making a great income. And you get out of school, and you start working, and then suddenly you find out that it's not right, mm-hmm. um, or it's not at least what you thought it was going to be. Not as easy. And, <laughs> it's not, as easy. not yeah. as easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so so the thing that I would say there is, do you earn more than if you worked as a teacher at a school?
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: most people will say yes to that. I mean, there are some extreme examples where people will still be struggling um, to to find a job or make make an income. Um, so if if you're making more money than a you know teacher or school or janitor or somebody like that like view that as a win that you're earning a decent living more than the majority of people out there in, in the country at large right mm-hmm. and it's all about savings rate and how much you spend yes so if you make 60000 a year but you save 50% of your income um, you're going to be a lot wealthier than the physician that makes one hundred fifty or 200000 a year but has a 10% savings rate you got um, it so that's you know I've I've worked with people that are on track to be multimillionaires that barely make $50,000 a year and it's just because they have rock bottom expenses and they're very modest with their budgets. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that for for that spending like the expectation of your you contributing, um, I, I think that, that that's that's a conversation that happens in a lot of couples like mm-hmm. that you don't you know for you know variety of reasons. So, I guess I would just say um, if you're concerned that you're not contributing enough, maybe first have that money conversation in general with your spouse. Like, mm-hmm. what are our goals? Like, what, how much do we want going to sp- savings versus spending and all that? And then if you're, you know, I mean, hopefully you, you have somebody that's understanding Then we will work with you and everything, but mm-hmm. just make sure that your savings rate is, is high and that you're living as if you, you know, are a couple notches down the, you know, socioeconomic like, prestige ladder, if that makes yes. sense.
0: Yeah. So let's get into the planning part. So you've you've touched on it um quite a bit about how to create that great financial plan. Um obviously keeping your expenses as low as possible. I completely agree. Like you should not be having frivolous a frivolous lifestyle for the first couple of years. Like I'm not too shameful to say I lived with my parents for the first three years of my business and I refused to move out of my parents' house unless I was living with somebody else. Like I wasn't going to try to be some like big fancy adult and have my own space because I was an adult. I was like, forget it. I'm not throwing money away just for rent so I can say I live in my own apartment. I was so fine living at my parents' place until I met my now husband and we bought a house together and split all of the costs. So how, what are some easy techniques that people could start to really implement today? And I try to have as much tangible action steps as we can with these shows that they can start to like put their money into proper boxes and make sure that they're following a, a, a realistic plan. And perhaps you have, like you mentioned, you know, if you're saving 50% or even 20%, you know, that's putting you at a much better advantage than if you're blowing all your money except for like 5% every year. So I know that was a really long question, but could you kind of start breaking down a great payment plan?
1: Yeah, well, I'll do it for the folks that have a lot of student debt on the American federal system, because that's what I really deal with the most. So say you've got more than 100,000 of student loans. You know, what what do you do? What what is your first step? So the first thing is I would want you to be either on the pay-as-you-earn program or the revised pay-as-you-earn program. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be one of those two, and if you're on something else, there's a really solid chance that you're costing yourself tens of thousands of dollars a year. Um, You know, if if you have a lot of debt, at least thousands. So it really does need to be one of those two plans. The other thing is, should you be filing your taxes together as a married couple or separately? Mm. So I see a big problem with this. People, uh, it's it's just funny. Like every time I look at one, usually people are making a mistake the way they do it. So if you file your taxes separately as as a couple, uh, then there needs to be a really clear reason why you're doing that to limit your student loan payment. So you're doing pay as you earn or revised pay as you earn, and that's just gonna have a, that's gonna cause 10% of your income to go towards your student loans. So that's gonna limit your payment, but the loans are gonna keep growing, and you're gonna see the debt balloon, and it's gonna cause a psychological impact on you and you're going to see that debt and you're going to think, oh my gosh, this thing keeps growing and growing. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And I model this for folks that I work with, but I, we can know like what that debt amount is going to be in 20 to 25 years. Like We can kind of project it out and figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have this big debt amount. So for most naturopaths, you know, you're know, you working for yourself or you're, you're not going to be working at a not-for-profit institution. So you might have a hard time qualifying for the the Best American Program, which is that public service loan forgiveness program. So that's like ten years you pay on these programs, and then you you have no tax liability. That's not most people. Mm-hmm. So most nat- most naturopaths have to pay for twenty to twenty five years, and then so you, that you're watching that debt balance grow. It's really big, and then at the end of it, you have to basically pay a ta- pay taxes on that forgiven balance as if it was a bonus. Right. So so that's gonna be a big amount of money in the future. And so to protect against that you have to put away a certain amount of money every month. Got it. Yeah. So then the the question is is like what is that amount of money? Mm-hmm. Where should where should it go? You know, and then also the last final piece of it is when you're doing so much savings, you've got to figure out where uh you've got to try to figure out ways to reduce your income and also grow your wealth. Yeah. So um, a lot of people, you know, don't put anything into retirement savings. Like that's such a common problem with naturopaths and, and other folks. Um, you, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to retire when I'm dead. Like that's my plan. You know? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> and, planning
0: on staying on my parents' will. That's what that's our joke. I'm like, I just don't want to get off the will. Like, yeah, be be,
1: <laughs> be 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 nice. Be nice to mom. Be nice to <laughs> yeah. grandma. Right. Um. So yeah, I mean, so the the cool thing is, is you can actually take charge of your own future and not have to rely on that. And um, so, with some of that 50% savings rate or even 20% savings rate, you'd want to make it a goal to put as much into retirement as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And for, for most people, um, the pre tax, before tax retirement plans are better because if you have student loans, because that simultaneously saves you money up front and it saves you money with having a lower student loan payment. Okay. So. Yeah, so so it's kind of a threefold thing. You make sure you're on the right plan for your student loans, that that's going to save you money. Then you're going to make sure you got the right amount of money going into the right account for that tax bomb, mm-hmm. so that you don't have to freak out about it anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's like a it's a knowable defined thing that you're preparing for. Yeah. And then that third that third thing is saving for retirement um, to make sure you have a a secure future and you're optimizing your loans with lower payments. And then any extra you know, go blow it on, uh, you know, having fun and, you know, going to, 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 you know, see Taylor Swift or Lord or somebody like that. <laughs>
0: I'm, a, I'm assuming that those are your faves. That's why they uh, came well, to you so quickly.
1: My, yeah, my wife's taking me to see Lord, and it's, uh, there's a toss up as to whether or not we're going to go to the Taylor Swift concert next month.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to go.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so the next question that's coming up to me is discipline. So I'm sure people are listening and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but it's really hard for me to, allocate my money or even know where to start so while mm-hmm. you're, you're saying you know these are the logical things that you should do what are my next steps are there like software's or apps that you've um, given to your clients to say here's how you can really manage what you know the money that came in this month where it should allocate or what would you recommend
1: yeah I mean well actually have we have a CFP on staff um, that p- people have very sort of severe budget issues mm-hmm. what well, we actually have a separate like budget consult thing uh, and what he does is uses Mint.com. Mint.com? M-E-N? Just ex- dot
0: com, M-E-N? Uh,
1: Mint, Mint. So oh. M-I-N-T.com. Okay. Um, yeah, Mint.com. And it's just a, a financial tracking uh, software. It's free. Okay. And you can, you can upload all of your account information, your credit cards, your bank accounts, and you can see what you're spending money on. That's the first step is to mm-hmm. know where it's all going. And one of the tools that we use is we'll have and if it's like a couple, for example, we'll have, um, people rank their top five spending areas in terms mm-hmm. of importance to them. Got so, it. so we'll say, okay, maybe you have a family and it's housing, uh, daycare, you know, car transportation slash transportation, travel and eating out or food. Right. And so we'll have you rank those, those five big categories and then. You know, and then we want both people to kind of agree on their list. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> so that
1: might that might be a discussion. <laughs> and so then once you once you've got your list, then you go through everything, and, and for the number one and the number two most important categories where all your money is going, we're we're gonna probably suggest you keep most or all of that spending. We might have some slight cuts in in number three, mm-hmm. and then number four and five are where our most extreme cuts will happen, and that's intentional because you know maybe your Zuma class is the most important thing to you in your life mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that's the one thing that keeps you sane at yeah. the end of the week right and maybe that cannot go right? right but but then you look at your spending and you're like wow like i didn't even remember that i like went to you know that brazilian steakhouse with people from you know work and like mm-hmm. i don't even remember that experience that's a great signal that that's something that could go yes. or that's something that could get cut back right so then, you know, with like mint, mint.com, you can have uh, categories, you know, that you kind of cap yourself at and mm-hmm. then they'll al- alert you if you're going over that category. So, awesome. yeah, so that's what we will typically do is just to make sure that the cuts are coming out of areas in your life where, you know, uh, you know, you don't find value and where the money's going.
0: Got it. So the other thing that's kind of coming to my mind is, you know, a lot of people in order to keep their spending down will use like the old mason jar method where they keep cash in a jar and try to limit how much they spend on their credit cards and things like that do you find that all like those techniques as well can be helpful
1: well it really does the the that i would i would highly suggest that path if somebody's got a problem with going out to eat or like spending Mm -hmm. too much money on Mm -hmm. groceries or you know kind of those impulse purchases um spending only in cash is a very powerful way to cut your spending but that won't address something like you know a rental payment or right. a car payment right and and really probably in maybe 75% of cases when people are having budget problems it's usually one of those two it's usually well oh sorry no, rent housing. and yeah, the, yeah yeah it's fixed usually costs. housing housing yeah. or cars because you can like i like to make this joke you can go to starbucks until your liver fails it's not going to you know Cause you to have a problem with your credit card spending relative to living in a one bedroom, you know, loft apartment. Mm -hmm. Like when you could be splitting it with a bunch of roommates. Right. Like just the 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 small like five dollar, ten dollar purchases. Yes, they do add up. Like I'm not saying they don't. um, But I really find that most people can save the most money by like compromising on their living situation and then their vehicles. Yes.
0: Yeah, and I can attest to that. I mean, my husband and I we live in a You know, three bedroom condo townhouse and my husband hates that we pay condo fees, Um, but it was a really like low mortgage like we could be out of mortgage if we really wanted to in seven years. And we've looked at other houses and we're like, yeah, sure, we could easily move to a larger house and we'll be paying our mortgage until we're like 20 years from now, but we don't have to. And I've really like, we've had a lot of conversations and a lot of tears about that too on my end being like, honey, I just don't need us to be financially strained. Like we just don't need to have that. We're not impressing anybody by doing that. And same with cars. Like we drive very modest vehicles because we want to have a life right we want to not be stressed out about finances and have savings in the bank and it's amazing how we look at our friends even and how much they're in the four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar homes and they have two kids and i'm just like well that means your property taxes are higher your costs to run the house are higher you have to pay for all of the fixing and the outdoor stuff like You know, sometimes you just don't have to do that despite and my mom's a realtor and she's like, well, uh, other people are doing it. I was like, well, they don't have to pay our bills, you know, like it's so easy (laughs) to be persuaded by the stereotypical like lifestyle that you should have. But I would I would just as much live in a tiny home like I tell my husband, that's our retirement plan is we're moving into like one of those truck bed, tiny homes like that is our plan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's about efficiency. So Mm -hmm. if, if you're going to have a lot of times, like, why do you want to have a big house in the first place? Well, you might say, well, I want all the family to be able to stay at my house when they come visit, or I want to be able to have good parties and not have people feel cramped or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, why do you want to drive a a big truck? Well, I want to feel safe that when I, you know, drive, uh, you know, in the winter, uh, whenever there's a bad day, like I'm, I'm high up the ground and I'm, you know, I'm, I can go off road or something like that. And Mm -hmm. usually there's like a deeper psychological issue behind Mm -hmm. that. It's it's mostly like the things that make you happy are being with family or yes. you know going on those trips where you would need to have a, a truck or something mm-hmm. like that or like that's the real thing that motivates the spending and the desire and marketers are really smart about that and like industries that make tons of profits off of that mm-hmm. feeling really know this and so they elicit all these feelings in you to want those things and so you know instead of buying that big house you know what if you bought a very small house and then you spent percentage of the difference in the price on entertaining your friends right or renting like an airbnb like for your family when they come visit um you know or like my wife and i we we have this uh really nice ikea sleeper couch and when people come visit us like we transform it into kind of like almost like a little bedroom and we have our guests sleep in our room you know yeah so um so it's it's all about don't take that easy way out that Mm -hmm. like tv and marketing and all these different things tell you that you're supposed to take like, take the efficient way out uh, by doing some of the stuff that, you know, that you're talking about. Like, what's the best school district that I can get into for Mm -hmm. the money? You know, what's the smallest space that I can be in and, you know, not feel like it's a big pain in my life? Um, What's the, what's the minimum amount of car that I need to feel safe on the road? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we just had that problem. So like, we actually, we probably bought too cheap of a car, you know, we, we bought, like, a 2004 Honda Civic, and, and we drove it for a little while, and my wife felt like it wasn't super safe on the mm-hmm. road, like, what, you know, kind of didn't have as fast braking as she would like, and so we compromised, and we bought a 2012 Nissan Altima in cash, mm-hmm. and it's great, like, there's no problems with it, yeah. but it's also kind of old, and it's all dinged up, and, you know, when we get a scratch on it in the city, when we're parking it, or somebody, like, bumps into us, like, we don't have to worry about going and hitting up our insurance company. Right. Uh, and, you know, because it's just an old car and it just runs. So it's like getting that minimum level. Like I'm not saying you, everybody has to go live in a tiny house because, you know, <laughs> I, I think that's great. I, I'd like to do that, too. But, you know, I think that you want to get people to that minimum, like minimum level where they feel like it's OK. And like, yeah, kind of capping those spending decisions to whatever that like most efficient level is.
0: Well, I'd love to finish off this call um, by talking about this psychological and the deep rooted thoughts around money and spending and where that comes from. And I was curious if you have any great resources that you've given to your clients to read or follow or listen to with regards to, you know, understanding where those financial perceptions are, understanding where your fear of poverty is, understanding where like your desire to appear wealthy is, you know, a lot of that comes into play around money.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I I guess the one that I, I like to go to is the book The Millionaire Next Door. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's one of the ones that I think is fantastic for understand, understanding mindset and understanding what what causes certain people to be wealthy and certain people to not have very much money at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's a great book. Um, there, you know, I guess um, you know not to sound self serving, but but my blog Student Loan Planner. Uh, .com talks a lot about that and talks about different ways that people can get over that hump psychologically of doing all the right things with their money. Um, Mr. Money Mustache is one that encourages mm-hmm. people to use, uh, he's actually Canadian uh, too and he's Woo-hoo. really into like efficient, yeah, efficient living. Um, and then uh, there's also something called millennialrevolution.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, a couple also from Canada that, uh, that have a very like financial independence, you mm-hmm. know, kind of mindset uh, that'll that'll really help uh, with spending issues
0: perfect so re- repeat your website one more time
1: sure yeah um my site studentloanplanner.com if, if people i guess wanted to just contact me it's just my name travis at studentloanplanner.com and they can just send me an email just about anything i happy to to chat and uh yeah i mean we just help a lot of naturopaths and other professionals who have over six figures in debt and want to get a uh, a plan and know that they're doing the right thing and not have to feel stress about it anymore. So that's that's what we do.
0: Perfect. Well, Travis, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about you know a rather scary issue for a lot of people and bringing to light, you know, it doesn't have to be the forefront of every move that you make and you you do need to excuse me and still need to invest in your business because that's why you went to school, but don't outlive your lifestyle, right? Like be very realistic about your finances and what you're spending. So thank you again so much. And we will put the links to um, connect with you and your website in our show notes. And I can't think of anything else. Can you think of anything else that we've missed today?
1: No, I think I think that's good. Just uh, focus on cutting back your spending, you know, living living frugally. And and, uh, once you're, you know, three years into your business or two years into your business, and you've had that financial stability, uh, reward yourself a little bit.
0: Yeah, I always keep the mantra that I am living the life that other people's couldn't um, imagine to have the life that others would dream of. So in the beginning, like, yeah, people are like, Oh, my God, I can't believe you're doing this. You're working long hours. You're, you know living at your parents house still and then 10 years they'll be like oh my god like I want to go stay in your you know big fancy house and go on your big fancy vacation so I always keep those little mantras in the back of my mind
1: yeah well I mean like owning your own business can double your income like literally and so think about doubling your income from that regard and then in, in terms of the student loan mistakes like the average person that we work with is saves about like long-term seventy thousand dollars like from mm-hmm optimizing their situation making sure Mm -hmm. they're not making mistakes like that so it's just get a plan like know what you're doing being intentional go for that practice ownership goal and and you can definitely be successful and uh and you know stop blaming yourself you know you can have a wonderful uh path ahead no matter what your situation is
0: cool thank you so much travis thanks andrea and there you have it everyone another interview in the books and i really do hope that you you know think realistically about your financial situation and even with my husband and I we have a budget that has all of our fixed costs so we know exactly what our bare minimum is every single month so when we have to pay on top of that then we can start to question well what were our extra expenses this month and I've done the same thing with my business so For those of you that know you really need to make a big financial impact and you want to start making some serious dollars in your business, which will help to contribute to your financial debt, I strongly encourage you to contact me, info at themaximmovement.com, and we can set up a time to chat and discuss where in your business things are not going so well and what you could easily implement. And I can tell you that even after one call, I have seen tremendous growth in people's businesses because sometimes we just need permission to do something, like raise our rates or start emailing our patient list every single week instead of once a month or create a new program. And often once you've given permission to do it, you feel comfortable and you can start doing it freely. And it's just, again, and those mental blocks that we create in our own mind, which also get in the way of our success. So contact me, info at movement.com and we can set up a call that will work best for you and me, and we'll have a good old-fashioned one-on-one chat. If you do have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, also contact me. Check me out on Instagram at Andrea Maxim ND, and please please leave a review on iTunes. The more reviews we get, the more this podcast gets shared, and I want all practitioners to know that it is a successful career option and you do not need to be struggling. Again, I'm Andrea Maxim, and I'm out.